Uhuru. You're listening to Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. on Black Power 96.3 WBPULP St. Petersburg, Florida, now available as a podcast as well. Follow us on Podbean at uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. My name is Jesse Neville, and we have a great show lined up today. Every week, Reparations in Action discusses some of the most pressing issues of these times of a colonial system in profound crisis. We sum up events as white people in solidarity with the African Revolution through the eyes of the African working class and the political theory of African internationalism. Under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, we believe reparations is a question that demands action on the part of European or white people. So as always, we'd like to begin by saluting this incredible radio station that we have the honor to participate in this program, Black Power 96.3 FM, and its parent organization, the African People's Education and Defense Fund, the nonprofit organization that defends the human and civil rights of the African community. And we salute APEDF and Black Power 96, and we'd like to go ahead and open up today with a discussion of the Democratic Party Convention, which kicked off yesterday online. With us to sum this up is Penny Hess, Chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee. Welcome and Uhuru Penny. Uhuru Jesse. Uhuru. To be here at 96.3 FM, not just explaining the world, but changing it. And before we start talking about the, uh, st the nonviolent struggle between various sectors of the white ruling class, I am going to start by saying that, yes, I am the chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee. I have very much the honor to, um, to be in that role under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, led by Chairman Omali Shatella, who I salute with incredible um, admiration for his powerful leadership for, throughout his entire adult life, and Deputy Chair Onazine Shatella, who leads so much of the work of the African People's Solidarity Committee, along with Adjuprop Director Akile Anai, who leads this radio station. So to get to the question of the Democratic Party Convention, yes, it opened, convened yesterday online in this era of COVID-19. And it is obviously trying desperately, among other things, to incorporate issues raised by the rebellions of the African working class following the colonial police murder of George Floyd. What we are seeing is also total public unity across the Democratic Party to fight against Trump and to, to win. Now, according to CNN, Biden holds a nine point lead over Trump overall but Trump has a 10-point lead when it comes to the economy. The anti-Trump sentiment has united the Democratic Party and not Biden's, quote, unifying capacity that I've read about in some articles. No, it was not that. Mm -hmm. In fact, Biden takes this nomination amid observations of his dementia, his brain freezes, his inarticulate speeches, his statements that don't make sense, 
And the fact that no one has seen him except for yeah. a few furtive videos from his basement where he's leading his campaign over the past few months. And interestingly, meanwhile, Trump has been out and about campaigning in real life. Um, so, but there's also Biden's age at 77 years old. I, I believe he'll be 78 if he, in January when he takes office. He is the oldest president in history. And of course, there's also his notoriously creepy treatment of women and young girls. So inside of the Democratic Party, Bernie Sanders is playing a strong role in winning over his, quote, Democratic Socialists, or the so-called left wing of the Democratic Party. Last night was the opening night, and it was, um, you know, characterized by, first of all, a moment of silence for George Floyd which is something, you know, the murder of Africans is not new and we have never seen that before in a democratic convention. There was also the endorsement of Black Lives Matter, which is very much a wing of the Democratic Party. There was a presentation by Michelle Obama and of course, Bernie Sanders and among many other things. So once again, we can see so clearly in this, what Chairman O'Malley Shatella has raised that the elections, especially the presidential elections, is nothing more than a nonviolent contest between sectors of the white ruling class. And there is nothing about the Democratic Party that is um, that at all different from the Republican Party and even Trump with the exception of a, of a few um, perhaps uh, strategical or you know uh, things that 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 they would carry out, so yeah, so it's very interesting. Yes, well, thank you, Penny. It seems from what you're saying that you would not agree with the statement that Biden is more progressive than Trump. Is that correct? <laughs> well, that is that's a really good question, and of course from listening to and understanding the brilliant analysis of Chairman O'Malley Shatella, that we understand that the true measure of the meaning of quote progressive is where you stand on the question of African people. And, and hold on one second. Um, and I'm sorry, I gotta find my place again here. Um, that's what it means to be progressive. And that I think that's really clear. It's clear that the African working class rebellions following the murder of, of George Floyd after thousands and thousands of other very visible police murders of African people make that very clear. The essential question in the United States and in the world today is the colonial question. And African people are colonized within the borders of the United States. and that we have to come to this question of the elections and the presidential candidates in the context of African internationalism, the understanding that the US is built on the enslavement of African people on land stolen from the indigenous people and that the colonial domination of African people takes place inside of the borders of the United States just as it much as it does any place else in the world in which 
puts the African population under assault on a daily basis versus the conditions that we as white people or the colonizer nation experience of the state and the fact that we sit on the pedestal of the oppression of African people. So we have a totally different view and experience of democracy, wealth, social wealth, um, you know, all of every, every aspect of life between ourselves and African people and colonized people inside the borders of the United States and around the world is completely different. So on that measure, Biden is one of the most vicious agents of counterinsurgency, the war on the African community that is out there. Um, and Chairman O'Malley Chatel has pointed out very clearly how liberals and members of the Democratic Party have been on the forefront of implementing and facilitating the US government's counterinsurgency and the colonial state war against African people in this country historically and now. Thank you. So we're talking here with Penny Hess, the chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee. We've been discussing the Democratic National Convention that took place and the role of the Democratic Party. And uh, you're listening to Black Power 96.3 FM, Reparations in Action. So uh, Penny, I want to go back to something you just mentioned, this term counterinsurgency. Could you mm -hmm. break that down for us a little bit? Well, yes, it is very, very, very important term. And Chairman Amali Shatella has led in the understanding of that. And in his book, Vanguard, the political report to the seventh Congress of the African People's Socialist Party, he has a whole very thorough chapter explaining and deepening our understanding of what counterinsurgency is. But what counterinsurgency is in most simplistic form is the um, war, the, the war by the oppressor nation against the resistance and the uprising of colonized people fighting for their independence and freedom. And it's, it's a counterinsurgency is a term used by the military, used by the colonial powers. But you know, it's it's a vicious war without terms in which the, you know, they can do anything they want. There is no Geneva Convention to fight this war. They use, they use um, the military, they use the police, they use violence, they use prison. They also, they also use um, character assassination, um, criminalization of the whole population. They, it's like a psychological war as well. Um, just every front, it's economic, it's political, it's military, and it, it's um, police containment. And as the chairman said, it is population and resource control of oppressed mm -hmm. population. And that's what we see yeah. in the African community. It is the complete control of a population and also an embargo against that population economically in which um, their communities are left to rot or they're pushed out, starved out. And Joe Biden played a key role in, in this that has this counterinsurgency by the U.S. government that has gone on since the um, defeat, as part of the defeat of the Black Revolution of the 1960s, in which we've seen a skyrocketing 500% increase in the prison population in the U.S., the majority of whom 
are in prison are Africans, Mexicans, and indigenous colonized peoples inside this country. So in 1995, Joe Biden wrote the crime bill mm. um, that was passed by the Clinton administration and of course initiated by the Clinton administration. And what that did was have this massive funding that put 100,000 new cops on the streets. It initiated a national three strikes you're out policy, which is a truly a double jeopardy in which you then, you know, if you go through three arrests or three trials, you are sentenced to mandatory minimum and the implementation of 30 years to life, much more stringent federal death penalty um, protocols and, and just an intensification of youth imprisonment and trial as adults, which mostly comes down on African children. And it went along with this quote, tough on crime sentiment, which is you know, the buzzword for this counterinsurgency or police containment of such a vicious and brutal way of the African community. And part of the, um, the, the slander and criminalization of the African community was the use of terms like super predator that was especially used towards African children. And there's a famous Hillary Clinton, Clinton quote on YouTube using the term super predators that expose her, um, you know, for this vicious anti-African stance that she carried out not only under her husband's regime, but subsequently in her own um, run for president in the last election. So, you know, we see the intensification of police murders since the 100,000 new cops were put on the streets, we see the political and moral assault on the African community, massive criminalization of African people, and an imposed drug economy onto the African community as following the defeat of the Black Revolution in the 60s, African-owned um, businesses and business sections and even neighborhoods were totally wiped out in what was called urban renewal and there was nothing left but the imposition of deadly drugs and a drug economy where the only way that African people could put food on the table was, was to be engaged in the pen, penny anti-drug economy that was imposed on that community by the US government. But meanwhile, white collar drug dealers never get arrested and Certainly there's much evidence out there of the, of the Clinton's role in drug trafficking in Arkansas and other places. Um, and so, you know, now we see 2.3 million people in US prisons, the largest prison population in the world. This is colonialism. This is counterinsurgency that we see. And if it hadn't been for the work of Chairman Omali Chattel and the African People's Socialist Party, that has exposed and working every day to defeat the counterinsurgency, um, you know, I shudder to think what the, what the conditions would be, mm -hmm. you know, inside this country, but the party is constantly building for the African revolution and for political and economic power in the hands of the African working class and even built an organization, 
the International People's Democratic Uhuru Movement, whose main goal is to defeat the counterinsurgency. Thank you, Penny, uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess from the African People's Solidarity Committee um, for that very, very insightful breakdown of the role of the Democratic Party in the counterinsurgency against the African population. I think we're pretty clear now hearing that analysis of who Joe Biden is and what he represents. So the only logical follow-up question then is wh what about Kamala Harris? Well, you know, it's of course the Republicans or some people were calling her a radical leftist, a progressive, but you know, she was the prosecutor from San Francisco and the attorney general of California who was quote, tough on crime again. And prosecutors, DAs and attorneys general always run by attacking the African community, showing that police containment is popular and voted on by white liberals, including the Democratic Party, obviously. And mm -hmm. California had its own three strikes are out law, laws and had brutal prison conditions in the California prison system. So for a long time, California was the second largest prison population in the US. There was Pelican Bay, which is still there, in Northern California, where there were just murders, torture, you know, just indescribable conditions. People, um, Africans were given scalding hot baths to make their skin come off. Um, their heads were dunked in toilets. I say were, this is still going on. It's a supermax. It's hideous. There's also other, uh, other places like Corcoran Prison, where, for example, there's the SHU, the Special Housing Unit, which is, you can't even stand up straight in. It's only about five feet high, five feet wide. And people, Africans and Mexicans are stuffed into those housing, so-called housing units, sol solitary and alone um, for many years. You know, we know many prisoners to whom that has been applied to. And also the California prisons were famous for the guards staging mm. fights, armed fights between uh, groups of Africans or between Africans and Mexicans or different groups of Mexicans. And the guards would stand on balconies and take bets on this and um, basically encourage people or set up the situation where people were, were you know, killed and murdered and just hideous prison system. So, yeah. you know, just to say that clearly there is nothing historic about Kamala Harris. Mm. Um, she has a track record of backing the police, locking up Africans and Mexicans and indigenous people crossing the border and covering up for the banks and supporting militarism and war. So the New York Times ran an article on Kamala saying that a VP pick that biz, big business can back, quote, Wall Street is happy about the signal it sends. And that's talking about the uh, Biden-Harris ticket. 
that it's saying in the Wall Street Journal that Ms. Harris was the moderate choice among more left-leaning candidates who may have taken a tougher line on finance firms. Um, that's what the other ones may have done. That said, during her presidential primary campaign, Ms. Harris said that she would pay for her health care plans with taxes on financial transitions. I would tax Wall Street stock trades at 0.2%, et cetera. Um, but, you know, obviously Wall Street sees right through that and knows that there's not going to be anything but more um, transferring of the taxes of African people and people inside the United States over to the Wall Street firms, which have already this year through the COVID-19 pandemic, um, so-called relief have re really um, received trillions of dollars. Yeah. Also, Silicon Valley is very happy about seeing a familiar face, says the New York Times. Ms. Harris got her start in the Bay Area and has been a fixture in fundraising circles there for decades. Tech executives appear excited about by her place on the ticket and reassured by her circumspect stance on things like breaking up the biggest tech companies. So also we can note that South Asians, even those within the Democratic Party have raised that Harris needs to acknowledge her upper caste or Brahmin status of her family and the oppression of the Dalit, the Sikhs and other sectors of the Indian and South Asian population that are that receive the brunt of um, state terror and uh, oppression. So yeah, I mean, I would just also mention really quick that the second choice was for vice president from Biden was Susan Rice. Mm. And one of the things that, you know, she is she has been attacked for by the Republicans is called Benghazi Gate, which happened on September 11th, 2012, when a US ambassador and three Americans were killed in Libya. And, you know, but the question is, the US was in Libya, the US was responsible for the most brutal murder of Gaddafi, of Muammar Gaddafi, the elected president of Libya. And that was even put on on YouTube. Yeah. Um, what you know, the U.S. intervention there, they overturned, um, you know, just just the uh, the the government of, of Libya and installed. I mean, destroyed it, destroyed it, destroyed the economy, the political cohesion, oppressed the people. And it's basically uh, just what the U.S. does when it goes in and and establishes our Im imposes. Um, counterinsurgency inside of Africa and the Middle East. But also Susan Rice is, has, is, is a criminal and has been responsible for carrying out the Clinton and Obama policies in Africa, um, even more than that, of backing and upholding Rwandan President Paul Kagame and backing funding and training his forces, which are basically proxy, US proxy forces called the M23, based in Rwanda and responsible for brutal murders, rape and torture and mutilations in Congo, protecting the interests of US corporations and military for its coltan, uranium, gold, diamonds, 
the US-backed force has slaughtered about 10 million people in resource-rich Eastern Congo over the past 15 years or more. Uhuru, Uhuru, thank you, uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess. And um, I wanna ask you one more question before we go to a quick uh, musical break and come back for the second half of today's episode of Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3. So you've presented a very strong case uh, for, for how Biden is, uh, is an agent of the counterinsurgency and perpetuates the colonial oppression of African people. But how would you respond to this idea that uh, as bad as he is, we have to vote for Biden because Trump is a fascist and we must mm -hmm. do everything we can to stop Trump the fascist. And even if that means voting for somebody who is the lesser of two evils. Right. I mean, Chairman Amalia Shatella has laid this out so well that first of all, fascism exists in the United States. It's called colonialism. It's called the oppression of African people. It's called um, police murder. It's called mass incarceration, everything counterinsurgency, what we've just talked about that really gives Africans no rights that the US carries out, no experience of democracy, constant terror and constant um, domination and violence from a colonial state. This is, this is the reality for African people right now. But what fascism is, as the chairman said, is when white people begin to experience some of the things that Africans experience under colonialism every single day and never say a word about until there's maybe an uprising and they say you know one or two things about you know that that particular police murder must go but the fact is that what is described as fascism is in fact carried out by the colonial state against African people inside the United States, against the Mexicans, against the indigenous people on their own land. And for us to say that either of these two are not an evil, are not carrying out the strategy of US imperialism to murder, to rape, to kill, to slaughter, to plunder, to oppress, to shoot down, to gun down, to, to have absolutely no rights. Both of these candidates, both sides, every, every manifestation of the US colonial ruling class carries this out each in their own way. As we see, they may have some different tactics, but they carry it out every day for the interest of maintaining the wealth and power for Wall Street for the ruling class, even for the majority of the white population to maintain control of resources around the world and to maintain the, uh, the, the power of the US as the leading imperialist power in the entire world. For real. All right, so this has been a great discussion with Chairwoman Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee here on Reparations in Action on Black Power 96.3, WVPU FM, St. Petersburg, Florida. And we will be back in just a moment with the rest of today's episode of Reparations in Action. So stay tuned.
All right, Uhuru, welcome back to Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3 FM. And uh, this is Jesse Neville, and we've been speaking with Penny Hess, the chair of the African People Solidarity Committee, about the presidential election going on in the United States at this time. And I wanted to just take a moment to mention that today is election day here in Pinellas County. It is uh, the primary elections taking place for a number of seats that are open, including uh, school board, as well as uh, a number of other seats on the Pinellas County Commission and the Pinellas County Sheriff. And I did want to specifically mention that the sheriff's race uh, includes two candidates in the Democratic primary, James McLinnis and Alicio Santana, who are running against Bob Galtieri, the current sheriff, the incumbent, who has a, a reputation, who is widely known throughout the African community in St. Petersburg and beyond as Killer Bob Galtieri, uh, who is notorious for his role in presiding over the murder of three African teenage girls by the Pinellas County Sheriff's Department on March 31st, 2016, Lanaya Miller, Ashanti Butler, and Dominique Battle, who were drowned and murdered by sheriff's deputies right here in St. Petersburg, Florida. They were chased by a deputy named Howard Skaggs and pursued down a winding path led to a pond and were pushed into the pond and drowned by these sheriff's deputies who were then praised and celebrated as heroes by Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Gualtieri, who lied about the events of the case and, uh, and close the investigation. So Bob Galtieri is up for reelection and uh, running against him in the Democratic primary is James McLinnis and Alicio Santana. Uh, I also want to mention that this morning, the founder and leader of the Uhuru movement and the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party went live on Facebook uh, from the polling precinct place in Precinct 120 uh, to announce that he was voting and he announced that he would be voting for James McLinnis and put forward McLinnis as someone who has taken a progressive stand in support of social justice for the black community. And that video is uh, viewable on Chairman Amalia Shetela's Facebook page. And we do wanna encourage people to vote. You can find your polling uh, site at votepinellas.com. Uh, once again, that's V-O-T-E-P-I-N-E-L-L-A-S.com. You can find where you go to go to the polls and vote today in the local election here in Pinellas County. Or if you still have your mail-in ballot, you can still deliver your mail-in ballot, but you can't bring it to the polls. You have to take it to the supervisor of elections office. There's one in St. Pete and there's one in Largo. Uh, take it there and deliver it uh, today before 7 p.m in order for your vote to be counted. So once again, we wanna encourage people to participate in today's important election, uh, the primary election here in Pinellas County. So now let's turn to the powerful Black is Back Coalition Conference that was held this past weekend. The Black is Back Coalition for Social Justice, Peace and Reparations, which is chaired by Chairman Omalia Shetela was entitled Free All Political Prisoners and Prisoners of War. And it was an incredible two-day conference. We're gonna be talking more about 
uh, the content of that conference. And first, we would like to uh, hear a clip of one of the speakers, the leader of the Jericho Movement, which is an organization that fights in defense of and for the immediate release of African and colonized political prisoners and prisoners of war. Um, this is a clip of uh, Jihad Abdul uh, Mutil from the Jericho Movement speaking at the Black is Back Coalition conference held this past weekend. He's doing just that. We're picking up the baton that as, as Brother Glenn said has been dropped for almost two decades or more after the, de uh, the demolition of the Black Liberation Movement by the counterintelligence program. But now that baton is being picked up. And I wanna say sisters and brothers that any movement that professes to champion the human rights of poor and oppressed people, any movement that professes to, to, to challenge and combat police violence against our people, any movement as we see today that is trying to bring radical changes to society that does not incorporate at the top of the list the freedom of freedom fighters that have went before them is hypocritical. Uhuru, powerful words from Jihad, the leader of the Jericho Movement, speaking at the Black is Back Coalition Conference held this past weekend under the theme, Free All Political Prisoners and Prisoners of War. So we'd like to turn back to Chairwoman Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee for a discussion about this absolutely historic conference that the Black is Back Coalition just wrapped up this past weekend. Uhuru. It was profound. It was so moving and such a critical question that Chairman Omali Chatella is raising that some of the political prisoners that we're talking about have been incarcerated, have been locked down for over 40 years. Some of them are, are old. You know, this is, this is so profound because this is the strength of the liberation struggle of African people that the US government recognized it as, as the, um, the major threat to the stability of the US government was the African revolution of the 1960s. And that these African people who have been held in prison, mo mostly people, white people have no idea who they are. Um, it is not put out there but they were the freedom fighters. They are in there for fighting, for, for justice, for freedom, for liberation, for political and economic power, for African people. So we live not only in a system that is built at their expense, but the Africans are crushed and imprisoned in the most brutal situation for standing up for their freedom. And that's not Russia or China or any of the other places where they talk about the gulag and. The, the massive imprisonment. No, this is inside the United States. This is what the US does because it's, it's a colonial government. It is the government there, uh, state power with, whose job is to oppress the African community. And Jesse, I just wanted to read because there is a, um, there's, there's a website, thejerichomovement.com slash prisoners where you can you know, people can go there and see some of the um, who some of who these incredible African liberation freedom fighters are and prisoners of war, um, including Abdul Aziz, of course, Abu Jamal 
I'm sorry, Mumia Abu-Jamal, who is, has been in prison for over 30 years for um, being framed up by the Philadelphia Police Department. Cindy was with when it was by the in the 19, in late 1970s. He is still in prison for, I believe, nearly over 40 years. And I don't know the, the number there, but it's a very long time, many decades. Also, uh, Abdullah Jamil Abdullah Al-Amin, who um, was a freedom fighter in the 1960s. Anthony Jalil Bottom, uh, who has been in since that period, and many, many more. You can look at that. Um, and I thought that the, I thought, you know, there were many interviews and, and videos from families of political prisoners, or in some cases, political prisoners themselves that were very powerful and moving, uh, including Asada Shakur's daughter, who gave testimony of what the assault and imprisonment on the incredible Asada Shakur meant to her family, and just this amazing, powerful escape that was coordinated that permitted Asada Shakur to find refuge and, um, you know, in, in the Cuba who accepted her. And that's very, very, very powerful. And she is there today. Also, Carolyn Lake, who is the widow of Mufundi Lake, a powerful political prisoner from the state of Alabama who was in prison for, for nearly 40 years, gave testimony to what it meant in, for her family and for what an incredible fighter Mufundi Lake was and how he was framed up. If you have the opportunity to, to listen to that, uh, Black is Back, Coalition on Facebook. You, you should be able to find the video of that. It's very powerful, very moving, giving both the political and human face of that. Also on was Mike Africa and Janine Africa, who was in prison since the 1978 um, attack on the Move House, uh, the first one in yeah. by, the, by the police department of, of Philadelphia, who just was released from the colonial prison as a political prisoner last year and spoke at the anniversary, the 25th anniversary of the Uhuru Furniture Store in Philadelphia, very, very powerful. Russell Schultz, also um, from the Northeast, his son spoke and Kamal Siddiqui's daughter, he was, Kamal was arrested with Asada Shakur also and a member of the Black Panther Party his daughter spoke. It was very, very powerful event. Absolutely. Yes, it was. And um, we actually have another clip we'd like to play. This is from Chairman Amalia Shatella's presentation, actually on the second day. And the chairman gave many, many incredible and brilliant statements throughout, mm -hmm. throughout the two-day conference. I just want to echo what you said, Penny. People should watch it. You can see the entire thing on Black is Back Coalition's Facebook page. Both days are fully available mm -hmm. to watch. So I, I recommend people do that. So we're gonna go ahead and, and hear uh, for a couple of minutes from Chairman Amali Shatella's presentation on day two of the Black is Back Coalition Conference to free all political prisoners. 
the fight for their liberation, the fight to free these comrades is continuing the struggle uh, against U.S. imperialism, uh, against the whole colonial capitalist social system. There's no way that we can separate their imprisonment uh, uh, from the, the fact that they stood up against, uh, against colonial capitalism in this country and that uh, the fight for black power uh, is a fight to free the political prisoners and that has to be on the front line. I want to recognize the significance of these uh, uh, incredible forces who will be presenting uh, that uh, our objective is not just to give information, though that is important, uh, but the information that we give uh, and the education that's provided by these uh, presenters uh, should uh, uh, be uh, something that inspires us to take up the gauntlet that the coalition is throwing down. And we're going to be putting forth a means by which everybody can participate in the struggle to free the political prisoners in the process of doing that, uh, to expose the hypocrisy of U.S. imperialism uh, that even uh, as recently as yesterday announced uh, how it's going to be placing all kinds of uh, sanctions on Syria. It's already engaged in so-called sanctioning on Iran, uh, sanctions on people in Venezuela, starving people, and of course the sanctions in, 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 in Zimbabwe. So uh, in the name of fighting for freedom and democracy, uh, we have a splendid opportunity now to uh, to demonstrate the hypocrisy of the United States, not just not as not just as a talking point, uh, but as a part of our struggle uh, with other oppressed peoples around the world who are in contention with the United States, just as we are. Uhuru. So that was yeah. Chairman Amalia Shatella speaking at the Black is Back conference, and so yeah, Penny, I just wanted to to discuss that a little bit. Um, I just want to start off by saying I, I really appreciate the last point that the chairman was making in how raising up this question of political prisoners as the party and the Black Spat Coalition has done, among other things, exposes the hypocrisy of the U.S. government championing itself as some kind of, you know, force of democracy in the world. And when you were talking about Assata Shakur, who, of course, was able to seek political asylum in Cuba, it just made me think about you know, growing up in Miami and hearing all of this slander about Cuba, having all these political prisoners. That was something that they used to say in the Miami Herald and stuff like that uh, to try to discredit, you know, the revolutionary struggle in Cuba. Um, and, you know, of course, the complete opposite is true. Um, that the, the United States, if, like there's a map on the Jericho Movement's website mm -hmm. that shows where all the political prisoners in the world are located. And they're almost all in the in North America, mm -hmm. and of course they're Africans, and and Mexicans and indigenous and colonized people who are political prisoners and and as you know as the chairman says prisoners of war. That's right, True. and you know we were talking about counterinsurgency earlier, and this is one yeah. of the manifestations of counterinsurgency of U.S. war against a whole people. Mm -hmm. And I just want to address it from the standpoint of a white person mm -hmm. and say, you know, just reiterate how white opportunism has participated in the counterinsurgency. And that, you know, when we, we sit on the pedestal of the oppression of African people, so we see ourselves as the subjects of history. And we, the, you know, we participate in the 
just this crushing of an entire movement that electrified the whole world and was part of an overall trajectory of the struggle of oppressed peoples against colonial domination, the most exciting, brilliant, um, life-reaffirming movement that could possibly exist on this planet. And that white opportunism upholds the point of view of the white ruling class. You know what I mean? That yes. would have done something because they were arrested and the police right. wouldn't have killed them if they hadn't done something wrong. And, and that, you know, that's the opportunism of the general white population. But there's also the same opportunism of what's called the white left and progressive movement that we just talked about with the Democratic yeah. Party, that the, the participation in the counterinsurgency involved organizations such as Prairie Fire, organ, environmental organizations, May 19th, communist organizations, the Communist Party USA, the Social Socialist Workers Party, all of these organizations rose to power based on the murder, the um, counterinsurgents attacks, the imprisonment of African leaders, and the destruction of, of the Black Revolution of the 1960s. So white leftists and progressives participated in it in every possible way, especially ideologically and organizationally, and gained an enormous amount of power, especially where I was in California, under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party out in Oakland, the Bay Area, in the period of the late 70s, the 80s, the 90s, when all of these groups were powerful, they supported the neo-colonial the you know, there's so much that we could talk about on that, but you know, this is this is so clear, and it would only be the African Revolution, the after you know, the chairman leading an organization called the Black is Back Coalition for Justice, Peace, and Reparations that can raise up what the, the whole question of political prisoners in the context of the entire struggle of African people towards their liberation and unification of Africa and African people. Uhuru, Uhuru, thank you. Yes, I, I completely agree with what you're saying, Penny, and um, you know, just totally unite about the question of white people and, and the opportunism. And, and that was something that was taken on uh, quite a bit throughout the Black is Back conference that, mm -hmm. you know, what calls itself the peace movement, the anti-war movement, you know, the chairman uh, talked about how they can talk about every war under the mm -hmm. sun, except for the fundamental war, the central war that is waged against African people well, and inside. Mexican people, mm -hmm. colonized people right inside U.S. borders. And of mm -hmm. course, uh, the question of political prisoners is never mentioned in any serious way by, by these white left organizations or, or by uh, the peace movement or anything, or if they are, and maybe you could talk mm -hmm. about this a little bit, such as in these organizations that you mentioned, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the, they like Prairie Fire and other organizations that used the situation, the question of political prisoners opportunistically mm -hmm. to build themselves. 
Exactly. Could you say to build themselves about that? and to build themselves and to to basically have power mm. over or attempt to have power of the African liberation movement. And you know, this is why the African People's Socialist Party created the African People's Solidarity Committee and also our mass organization, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, that white people given to our own you know, devices, are, uh, we're gonna be opportunists. We are, we sit on the pedestal of everybody else. We see ourselves as the subjects of history. We're the colonizer nation, we owe reparations, but we have to be revolutionaries under the leadership of the African revolution. The African working class is the leading force inside the US and around the world against imperialism. We will never do it on our own. We always look at our history and we can, we can talk about this soon mm -hmm. that white people have gotten every gain, every right at the expense of African people. In fact, we're gonna be talking about that in an APSC, African People's Solidarity Committee study on August 30th, is it? I think we're gonna announce it. And, and how white women gained power and wealth by being owners of African people in the South mm. prior to the Civil War. Uh, that was the first liberation, quote unquote, of white women at the expense wow. of African people. So we're gonna talk about that and how deep this white opportunism is and what it means. It can only be overturned under the leadership of the African working class organized into the African People's Socialist Party, Uhuru. Uhuru. So uh, we're coming to the end of our program today, uh, Chairwoman Penny, but I just wanted to ask before I go into the announcements and, and let people know all of the ways that they can tune in, plug in, and get involved in the upcoming week. I just wanted to see if there's anything you would like to say to our listeners before we, we wrap it up. Well, I just really appreciate this discussion today. As always, I just appreciate the constant daily leadership given by Chairman O'Malley Chatella politically to this period. I want to call on everyone to really take a stand for reparations to African people um, there's, there's nothing else progressive. That is the ultimate quote progressive question. Where do you stand on reparations to African people? Where do you stand on the so genuine solidarity with the liberation of African people? So look into uhurusolidarity.org. We also have some incredible events, including a March for Reparations coming up in October that Jesse's going to talk about. It's been great being on the show today as always. And, uh, you know, I just want to say unity through reparations. Uhuru, it's been great to have you on, Chairwoman Penny Hess. And we just really appreciate um, everything that you've brought to this program today. It's been an incredible discussion. I want to shout out everybody who's listening uh, right here in St. Petersburg, Florida, on the radio on Black Power 96.3 FM, WBPU, St. Petersburg, Florida. And I also want to shout out people who are listening on Facebook from all around the world, including throughout the United States, from Sierra Leone, from Brussels, and other places as well. We are very, very uh, grateful for all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in and participating in this program with us today. And now I'm going to just make a few announcements, starting with uh, the March for Reparations to African People, a national march of white people 
calling for reparations to the African community. This is historic and it's gonna be happening on October 17th, 2020, coordinated by the Uhuru Solidarity Movement under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party in cities across the US. There is a must watch 50 second video that you must see yes. at uhurusolidarity.org slash march. Take 50 seconds out of your day. Uh, and if you can't remember that URL, go to our Facebook, Uhuru Solidarity Movement, go to YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash Uhuru Solidarity, go to our Twitter, twitter.com slash Uhuru Solidarity, go to our Instagram, Uhuru Solidarity, and you will find that video there uh, promoting the March for Reparations to African people. That's gonna be happening. And we also wanna encourage people, if you're interested in getting involved and actually participating in a March for Reparations, which they will be happening in eight cities across the US, including right here in St. Petersburg, Florida, as well as St. Louis, uh, Minneapolis, uh, Portland, Boston, New York, Philadelphia, and San Diego. And if you're in one of those cities and you wanna get involved, or if you're not in one of those cities and you wanna add your city to that list of places where the March for Reparations to African People will take place, you should come to our mass meeting this Saturday at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time held on Zoom that will feature a political overview by Penny Hess and will put forward all of the many different ways that you can jump on board and build the National March for Reparations to African people on October 17th. So that's this Saturday, August 22nd at 4 p.m. And you can go to tinyurl.com slash March for Reparations. That's March 4, F-O-R, reparations, tinyurl.com slash March for Reparations. And I didn't actually know about this next one until, until we started this program. Um, but I also wanted to mention that on Monday, August 24th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on facebook.com slash Anwo Uhuru, mm -hmm. there will be a special program called The Breakdown of Kamala Harris. And that will be led by President Yejide Oranmila of the African National Women's Organization and Director Aisha Fields of the All African People's Development and Empowerment Project, two very powerful leaders yes. from the African People's Socialist Party. So wow, definitely want to tune into that, as well as every Sunday, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time on Chairman Omali Shetela's Facebook page and the Burning Spear YouTube channel, the incredible and profound weekly political education series Omali Taught Me conducted by Chairman Amalia Shetela every single Sunday. And as uh, Chairwoman Penny mentioned, on, August, on Wednesday, August 26th, um, so a week from tomorrow, at 7 p.m. Eastern, uh, Penny will be leading a study on a book called They Were Her Property on the history of the role of white women in the enslavement of African people, which is a very, very deep history that uh, Chairwoman Penny just mentioned. So this is gonna be an important study uh, to learn and also to be motivated to take action and to get involved and to get organized under the leadership of the African working class, led by APSC African People's Solidarity Committee Chairwoman Penny Hess. On Wednesday, August 26th at 7 p.m. Eastern, you can go to bit.ly slash they were her property to register for that. It will also be broadcast on APSC's Facebook page and the Huru Solidarity YouTube channel. So that brings us to the end of our show today. We wanna to thank Penny Hess. We wanna thank Chairman Amalia Shatella, Black Power 96.3 FM, 
the, all, the uh, African People's Education and Defense Fund, and all of you for tuning in with us for Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show broadcast live every Tuesday at 12 p.m. here on Black Power 96.3 WBPU LP, St. Petersburg, Florida, and available as a podcast at uhurusolidarity.podbean.com. Thank you so much. Unity through reparations. And we will see you next Tuesday.